0: I want to talk to you now about the third key, the key of renunciation. Um, I think pretty much everything what you've heard so far is stuff you've probably heard before, maybe in a different way, maybe it's in a new, maybe refreshed way, or maybe you had heard it all before. The stuff that you probably are going to hear now is is maybe different than anything that you've heard before, at least most likely, because when you start talking about things like renouncing and, and deliverance ministry, these are not things that you grew up in, in the church when I was growing up. We didn't talk about these things. Okay, so that's why I like the first talk that Chris gave is actually called, Deliverance is a good word. (laughs) Because people usually don't associate deliverance with good things. You know, it's usually associated with something you might have seen on TV, or in a movie, or on YouTube, or even maybe something you saw in person and just thought, "Eh, that's not for me. And when you talk about the word renouncing, It's, again, not a commonly used word. Uh, You wouldn't hear somebody say, oh, I renounced that a long time ago. They use a different word, right? And so kind of the word renouncing is a bit of a churchy word. And it's got some theological understanding, some meaning, some underpinning behind it. So what do we mean when we say the word renounce? Very simply, the word renounce means, I'm done with it. I, I don't want it. I don't want it in my life anymore. That's what the word means, to renounce. And so when somebody prays with you today and says, say this, in the name of Jesus, I renounce anger. What you're saying is, I'm done with anger. I don't want to, you know, like another Christian saying, I don't want to have fellowship with anger anymore. So that's what the word itself means. Now, the reason I say people miss it, but it's part of the church's foundational teaching, the word renounce. And in fact, every Easter vigil, we actually say, and Father leads us in a prayer, and we say it all together, you might recall, and you repeat after him, we repeat after him We say, I renounce Satan. And we all say it right, at the and, I, and all his evil ways, and all his evil thoughts, and this is actually part of ancient prayer. It's been in the church from the beginning. Um, I, I, as I said, I'm Armenian, and we actually have a long prayer of renunciation that we start every mass with. If you ever, you know, if. When I was a boy, if you got there for morning service before the liturgy, then we would start in the back of the church and we would turn away from the altar. And it's always, you face west and you say, I renounce Satan and all his evil longings, all his evil ways, all his evil instruments, all his evil angels, 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 agents and ministers, his every evil power I renounce. And we say it in Armenian. And then the priest said, now we turn toward the light of God. And we all turn around and we face the Lord in the tabernacle. That's what we did. So it's part of the history of the church. It's nothing new. What might be new to you is lay people doing it. And actually, I've even heard some people locally have questioned whether lay people, in fact, can renounce. Do you know at the, in the Armenian church, I'm an acolyte in the church. When I was a boy, I was ordained an acolyte so I could hold a candle. And the first three orders that I was given as an acolyte were to clean the church, right? To hold the candle and to renounce the enemy. That was the first thing that they gave me authority to do as a little boy, the understanding was anybody can renounce. And in fact, we know it scripturally. I mean, Jesus gave the authority to us to, to cast out, to command them to leave. And in fact, why? Because we're the ones that open the door. Nobody else opened the door to your life or to mine and gave access to the temptations, the evil spirits, the lies, we open those doors. And in fact we can clean house and close those doors. And once you understand the theology behind it, you can understand why I'm being invited by bishops to go to their diocese and teach their priests. How to pray this model. Because they they don't want all their, they don't need all their priests praying the right of exorcism, because this isn't the right of exorcism. This is just helping people get free of the junk that they get themselves into. So, in fact, last year I went and gave two back-to-back retreats to all the priests of the Diocese of New Delhi, with the bishop sitting in the front row and they're really orthodox in India about their Catholicism and believe me if I said anything that was in conflict with the church that man would have told me and I've done the same in Cameroon and Tanzania in Kenya in Turkey I did it with a patriarch even there okay so I just want you to know that the stuff that I'm gonna teach you is tested I have tested it in front of groups of priests and bishops and a patriarch. It's, it's good for you. It's okay. Father Dave also wouldn't invite me here if it wasn't. I think you can trust him. Okay? So we good? Even from a wolverine, for goodness sake. Okay. Okay. Now, what we're trying to do is identify what we call a stronghold, okay? That's what we're trying to do when we're trying to figure out, well, all right, John, I believe what you're telling me, that in fact, St. Paul's words are true, that the enemy is present, that he really is seeking to destroy us and me, that he really does have, we, you know, we say God has a beautiful plan for your life, right? Everybody's heard that. What we haven't heard is the enemy has an awful plan for your life. So, in fact, what's happening here is we know that he's prowling around the world seeking someone to devour. We know that we have God in us, and he who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. Okay, I'm just throwing out scripture to you. I hope it's resonating in your ear. So I don't have anything to be afraid of. I mean, seriously, if anybody had to be afraid of doing deliverance ministry, I think it would be me. Because I'm the nutty guy that's going around the world teaching it. And believe me, I am not afraid of the enemy. In fact, I can tell you stories of times where I have kind of encountered him in people, and it's been quite, not frightening, but laughable to me. I, I'm just being honest with you. I was praying with a woman in Turkey who got herself into a terrible situation. And she was just starting. She had grown up Muslim. She had given her life to the Lord. She wanted to be prayed with. She was at one of my conferences, and, and she heard the first two talks, they wanted me to pray with her right away. I went to pray with her. I sat with her in the pew in the front row. My translator was on the other side of her, and she just started to kind of manifest stuff. Like her face changed. She was just struggling, and she was, you know, she seemed like she was trying to rip her shirt off her body, and uh, and I said I just looked in her eye, and I said, uh, look at me, look at me just just look at me, say Jesus, just say Jesus. And she looked at me, And she was trying to say it, she couldn't get it out, and she just, she just she looks over at my translator and then she just rips around and looks at me and gives me the finger. We all know what that means, right? <laughs> but in Turkey they don't have that. She flips me off to my face, but she does not know what she's doing. And I looked at my translator and he um, had been to the U.S. (laughs) And I looked at him and I said, do you think she has any clue what that means? And he said, no way. There's no way she knows what she's doing. And I just laughed. Why did I laugh? I just thought, is that the best you can do, Satan? (laughs) Seriously, is that the best you can do? Look, we have nothing to be afraid of here. We have nothing to be afraid of. And so when you're renouncing, you want to do it with confidence, with your identity in full tact. I'm a son or a daughter of the Most High God. I have nothing to fear. The Lord is for me. I have been baptized. I have been confirmed. I have received the Holy Eucharist. There's nothing for me to be afraid of. Okay? And I want you to just walk with that sense of truth and identity. Okay? Now, how am I going to identify these ways in which the enemy is attacking me? What are my enemies? Who are my enemies? We can be very confused about our enemies. You know, your wife, husband, they're not your enemy. Your ex-wife or husband is not your enemy. Your children are not your enemy. Your parents are not your enemy. Your boss is not your enemy. And contrary to popular local belief, Jim Harbaugh is not your enemy. <laughs> the enemy is your enemy. Okay? Okay? We know who is our enemy. Let's, if you want to be angry (laughs) in a righteous way, if you want to do battle, that's the one you want to do battle with. So how do we identify the way in which that enemy is trying to bring about his plan in my life, in your life? Okay. You, you can see that I like the question, all right, John, I know the truth, but how? Yes, but how? How do you do that? How do you forgive? How, how do you renounce? First of all, most people come to a conference like this because they have stuff going on that they've been trying to deal with for a long time and have not gotten the you know a hold of it's like it's, it just keeps coming back. It keeps nagging at me. It keeps reappearing. And, or, or there's this kind of long-term thing, like if I think about it, like that just has never gone away. That's a good place to start. It's usually in our desperation that we'll actually try something like deliverance ministry. Like I said, I mean, I got back from Turkey and I saw that, you know, I I knew that I had some anger and hatred and bitterness, but I thought I had repented of that stuff. I thought when I gave my life to the Lord when I was 19, I was free of it. But what I was seeing was that this, this voice in my ear, especially when I was in Turkey, was saying, you're a racist. You're a poser. You really hate these people and they're going to see right through you. You're a liar. Now, whose voice is that? And I'm, I've been walking with the Lord for 20 years. I know whose voice that is. And when that voice is speaking to you, you're like, I've got to deal with that thing. I've got to deal with that voice. So, if you want to identify the stronghold... We like to say, look for an entryway. How did it begin? How did he get in there? Where is the root of it? If you want to think of it in terms of a tree. There's a guy that wrote a book on, if you've ever heard of Theophostic Prayer. His name is Ed Smith, but he talks about a tree. And then there's another guy who took that teaching And his name is Bill Schutz. He wrote a book called Be Healed. I don't know if any of you have heard of that book. But a lot of these guys who I steal from, Neil, who I basically steal his stuff all the time, you know, there's nothing new under the sun, but if you think about it in these terms, I'm going to speak to you mainly from what I've learned from these people. All right, how do you identify a root entryway, an entry point? When, and I'm going to tell you this before I talk about the entry ways or how to identify them. Some people are very afraid of identifying the way the enemy is working. They're like, I really don't want to think about that. But especially if, John, you're going to talk about it in terms of, um, sorry. If, if you're going to talk about it in, in terms of there's an evil being behind it, right? Do I really want to think about demonic influence in my life? Really, do I want to think about it that way? And here's what Father Cantalamesa, who is the preacher to the papal household since John Paul, I mean he's been there a long time. Usually when there's a new pope, they bring their own preacher, but he's been there now for three popes, so this guy is pretty solid, but he says, when you identify when the enemy or where the enemy is working in your life, that's not a defeat, it's a victory, he said. So think about it that way. God reveals what he wants to heal. If he's revealing an entryway, it's because it's something he wants to heal in you. And so there's no reason to be kind of upset when you start to recognize, maybe I do have a problem with anger. Maybe I do have a problem with sexual addiction. Maybe I do have a problem with alcohol. And so starting to recognize that is the beginning of healing. Because God is revealing that to you. Now, To uncover an entryway, you want to pay careful attention to what you hear. What do I mean by that? Hear what you say. Listen to what you say. I, to think, I talk. (laughs) That's the kind of person I am. But maybe you talk to yourself and that's how you think. But there there are ways in which we talk to ourselves because we always are acting out of what we think. What are you thinking? Now, a lot of guys, when I say that, because I'm like you, say, I don't think a lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Michelle sometimes we'll say what are you thinking about and i'll say i'm working on a perfect blank <laughs> i was listening to a talk this week from a priest in minnesota and he said the problem is if you ask a guy what he's thinking sometime one of two things he's he might be embarrassed to tell you what i was thinking was chair <laughs> and and his wife or his girlfriend will say, well, what do you think about the chair? And he'll say, chair? (laughs) And she can't imagine, like, well, how about what that chair would go with? Or doesn't go, like that chair doesn't really belong there. Doesn't that, no, I wasn't thinking that. But listen, guys, you're acting out of what you think. So you need to pay attention to what you're thinking. You can't just dismiss it. Oh, that's just my thoughts. Think about what you're thinking. Pay attention to what you're thinking. Because what you think will lead you to how you behave. You can't control your feelings as easily as you can control your thoughts. Everybody knows that anytime you've asked a little child to stop crying. If I asked my daughters to stop crying, the response would be, I'm trying to stop, Daddy. Stop being so sad. I'm trying to stop being sad. It doesn't work real well. But you can change how you think. So you need to start thinking about what you're thinking about. And how you're thinking, what you think about, will determine how you respond to things and how you respond to things is a lot more important than what happened to you now I'm gonna give you some examples of this to try and cement it okay number one start thinking about what you take to confession regularly. That's the easiest place to start when it comes to renouncing. Think about what you take to confession. Do you have to confess unkind speech? Do you have to confess lying? Do you have to confess losing custody of your eyes? Do you have to confess fantasizing? Do you have to confess giving in to anger? Do you have to confess taking advantage of somebody? then all of those things are things you can renounce all right and if you think about it in terms of a tree that's the fruit on the tree that's the leaves the foliage the fruit that's that's what you see okay so that's a great place to start is what kind of sins do i commit those are the things that i can renounce in the name of jesus i renounce lying in the name of jesus I renounce pornography. In the name of Jesus, I renounce alcoholism. Okay? Those are, I renounce drunkenness. Okay? Those are the sins. Those are the way it manifests. And that's a very good place to start. But I'm going to concentrate on two other places in the time that I have left. Because they're the big ones. Number one is Fear. Fear prevents us from doing what God wants us to do. And very few people think about fear as something to renounce, unless they have like a serious anxiety problem. But most people don't have an anxiety problem, but they don't recognize how fear affects them. And I think fear affects us most of all in the things that we don't do that we should do. That we know we should do. Like, I know that I should call person X who just lost their husband. But I know if I call them it's going to be very emotional and I don't want to call her. That happened to me yesterday. And I ended up spending a long time on the phone with this distant friend of mine. Because I knew she was going to cry and I knew she was going to want me to pray with her and I knew it was going to take at least an hour. And what was preventing me from doing it, among other things, was just, I really don't want to deal with that and I don't like that. And I don't want to talk about what happened. You see, there's fears in me that don't want to experience that kind of heavy emotional thing. It's a very simple thing. It doesn't sound too complex, but it also stops good believing Catholic people from sharing their faith. And if there's a big problem we have in the church right now is that Catholics are afraid to share their faith for one reason or another, even if it means so much as inviting them to come to church with me, and that doesn't seem to be it should be that hard. But that happens to me, friends. And so fear can be a big way in which the enemy works to undermine God's plan for our lives. Have you ever renounced it? Have you ever even thought, in the name of Jesus, I renounce fear? For me, it was really obvious, because I didn't want to go back to Turkey. I mean, I said I went back several dozen times now, but when I got back that first time, Ralph Martin came to me and said, you're really used here in a powerful way. Does God use you like this back home? And I said, no. And he said, I think you're supposed to come back here. And I was like, oh God, I just wanted to come once and prove that I didn't hate these people and go home and never come back again. And I've missed on both things. I have found out that I have all this anger and hatred in me and I have a fear of coming back. And in fact on subsequent early trips I would get to the airport in Amsterdam and I wouldn't want to go to the gate change. I would actually sit at the gate across the way and look at the people for going to Turkey. Are you really going to do this again? And everybody in my family had been telling me, what are you doing? Why are you going there? Why don't you go to Armenia, Lebanon, Greece, Egypt? Why do you have to go to Turkey? I don't know. I didn't have an answer. It didn't make sense to me either. But God wanted me to go there, but I'm full of fear of going there. Don't you know what they did to us? Don't you know what they could do to you? Don't you know if you speak wrongly, you'll get thrown in jail? Or worse? That'll cause you some fear, right? So it's a big way in which the enemy can work to prevent you from doing what God wants you to do. Right? Because God has a plan for our lives. He created us. Each one of us is unique and He wants us to do something. We're part of His creation. We're part of His plan. And if we're going to understand our true purpose, then we need to say yes to Him when He asks us to do it because then we'll experience true joy. Right? When I'm doing the thing that I was created to do, I'm pretty happy. Have you ever experienced that? Doing the thing that God created you to do? it's pretty joyful so fear number two and number three I think is the the, one of the biggest ones that I've actually been learning the most about recently and I can almost say a hundred percent of it is because of Bill Schutz. trauma trauma is either a physical or a psychological wound There are two types of trauma. Type A trauma and type B trauma. What are they? I'm going to tell you about the type B traumas first because they're the ones that are most obvious and what we probably think of. It's the bad things that happen to us. It's typically a death, a divorce, violence, verbal abuse, sexual abuse, abandonment by a parent or a spouse, witnessing somebody who's being abused. These are the types of things that we think of when we think of trauma. Okay, that's one type of trauma. The other type of trauma is the deprivation of love. What's that? That's an, any unloving action. Anything that violates my personal boundaries... My not being cherished, my not being celebrated, my not being appreciated, especially by your parents, not knowing that you're delighted in, not being understood or nurtured, not receiving appropriate boundaries or discipline can be a trauma. Not being able to develop personal freedom and, tra- and, and, and talents Those are traumas. Now, these are ways in which the enemy is going to try and get in. But it's not the trauma itself that is something that we need to renounce. Why? Because we know that God allowed these things to happen. Right? Right? Some of them were completely outside of anybody's control. Some were within someone's control. Like the fact that my parents got divorced was within their control. But God did allow that to happen. Right? The question is, how am I going to respond to what happened? So when a trauma happens to you, any kind of trauma that has happened in your life, maybe you've never even thought about it as a trauma, is something that you need to consider. Why? Because traumas, by their nature, cause a wound. Sometimes the wound is physical, but usually it's emotional, mental, And that's what we call like wounded hearts. How many of you have experienced a wound to your heart? Okay, I would venture most of the people in this room know that they've experienced a wound to the heart. Okay, so here's what happens when our hearts are wounded. That wound, that wound in and of itself how do I want to put this next one? so the trauma causes a wound because of that wound we make a decision we believe something as a result of experiencing the wound what do we believe? what's an example? so let's say the wound is abandonment the belief might be I'm alone No one cares about me. No one understands me. What if the wound is fear? If I trust, I'm going to get hurt. If I risk, I will get hurt. How about hopelessness? If the wound causes hopelessness, I'll never get better. It's always going to be like this it will never change. Or powerlessness, I won't ever change. I'm way too weak. I can't control it. Or a sense of rejection. I'm just not loved. I'm not wanted. I'm not desired. So you see there's a belief that forms Because of the wound. So the belief, the wound, is insulated in a belief in how I think. That's why how we think is really important. You need to think about how you think. I'm really trying to do this recently. It's really hard for me. It's a real struggle. I'm just telling you honestly, this is not an easy thing to do. For a person like me and maybe for many of you you know we say unbound is simple and repeatable when you really want to get down to it and Neil says you know the real if you want to get free you need to get to the root and the real root comes through revelation he says and I'm like oh that's easy to say but it's really hard to do it's hard to find the root So now I'm moving down the trunk of the tree and I see the fruit, see the stuff, and now I see some of the branches, what I believe. Okay? But then the beliefs, and here's the next step, the beliefs are wrapped in something else. And that casing we call a vow. So you've got the trauma, which causes a wound, which is wrapped in a belief... Which is wrapped in a vow. And what are the vows? What do vows look like? I wrote mine down. I was thinking about them this week. My sin is anger, my root wound, abandonment. The vow, I will never trust. I can't trust my dad. I'll never trust my dad. That, that is a root vow in me. Pride. What's the root wound? I'm powerless. I'm confused. What's the inner vow? I won't ever figure out what's going on here. It's unfigureoutable if that were a word. Okay? Lust. What's the root wound? Rejection. A sense of not being loved. Or shame. And what is my inner vow? I will never need anything from anyone else. I'll take care of myself. Now these can all work together. It's different in every person. Your root wound will be different from you, but you want to get down to the root. And then they lead to an identity lie. And those are the lies of who you think you are, or things that really like for for my identity life for my father, it was I can't count on him. You know, I, I can't trust him and therefore I can never count on him to do the right thing, to care for me the way I need to be cared for, to teach me what I need to be taught. My pride, the root lie says you're going to fail. I'm doomed to fail. The other one, I'm not wanted. I'm really not wanted. You see, these are the ways in which the, I, the enemy can build a stronghold. He builds them on lies. He uses the stuff that's happened to you, to convince you or to feed you a lie, feed me a lie, and we swallow the lie. Now, we know that sin abounds in the world, so we know there's going to be plenty of hurt, right? We know anyone who's lived any length of time knows that stuff is going to happen, right? It's just going to happen. We're going to have to deal with it. You know, when it comes, we deal with it. But we make certain decisions about life because of what happened. And those decisions turn into beliefs. And those beliefs turn into vows. And those vows can really mess with our identity. Because who am I really? And who are you really? At the core of it, at the absolute base, what you stand on, the rock upon which you stand, what are you? Amen. Sister, you preach. I always wanted to say that in church. When a priest is finally getting a good one, I'm like, yes, you preach. You're a child of God, that's your identity. I don't want to steal Father's thunder tonight, but that's what he's going to talk about. That's the best part of this whole thing. You want to be confirmed in who you are. Why did God make me? And if I'm believing lies about that, if I'm believing lies about who I am, if I'm if I'm swallowing the hopelessness and the powerlessness and the abandonment and, and the, the, the lust and all those lies and all, those, all that crap, all those things, what's happening? I'm being undermined and I'm not able to walk as the person that God made me to be. I'm not able to be that which he made me to be so that I can stand up here and do what God meant for me to do, and instead believe this lie that you haven't been trained, John. You don't know anything. You never studied philosophy. You never studied theology. In fact, you were really crappy at school. You were a C student. You graduated magna cum laude. But I did graduate from Michigan. (laughs) Somehow I managed that. You see what I'm saying? No, John, you're a businessman. You're not a preacher, boy. But you know what? God put something in me, didn't he? He anointed me. To preach good news. To set captives free. To take some blinders off of the blind. Didn't he do that? Can you tell? He did it. And when I walk in my truest identity, I'm like Joe. Put a Buckeye shirt on me. Praise God. Really, because I'm a, I'm a man of God. I'll walk in the identity that he wants me to walk in. Because I need to be free to be the man that he wants me to be so that I can do what he made me to do. And so that's what the team and I and Michelle, we want to lead you in today. Today. But we can only do it if you do the work first. You need to do the work first. You need to start thinking about, what is it? What are my beliefs? What are the vows that I've made? What are the traumas that I experienced? And how did I respond to those things? And it's not just going to happen today, but there's a grace today. There's a grace on this time right now. Because we're here in His presence, in an atmosphere of faith, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, because we've asked Him to be here, right? And God is revealing right now what He wants to heal. And maybe you're just getting a little kernel of it. Maybe you haven't been able to... Like maybe you step up and you say to the prayer team, I don't even know what I want to say, but there's something going on in here. Praise God. They will help you. We will help you. So at the very least, it's going to take you being willing to step out in faith. That's what we call it. But the Little bit of work that you can do to identify what is the Lord pointing out in me right now? What is He revealing to me? I, I've had people today come to me and say, I didn't know that I hadn't really thought about anyone I hadn't forgiven. I thought I forgave everybody. Yet when I prayed with that person and started to pray through forgiveness, that person just started weeping. And that to me is just a sign that the pain is still there. And if the pain is still there, that means there's probably still more forgiveness that needs to take place. Because I've learned that if you start to think about something and talk about something and pain is there, there's probably some unforgiveness still. But as the unforgiveness goes away, you can talk about it without grieving so much. I used to not be able to talk about the things that my dad did publicly for sure, but I couldn't even say them out loud without breaking down. But now I can. That doesn't mean I don't have more forgiving to do. Another person came to me already today and said, I didn't know I had anger. I mean, I knew I had angry outbursts, but I didn't know what was the source of it. Well, that's the Lord. He's bringing it to mind because He wants to heal it. He wants to get us to start working on that. And praise God for that. That's why you're here today. You want to let the Lord do his work. What happens to this stuff if it's left unattended to? Left unattended, it festers. Michelle loves to talk about how it's like a wound that you get when you're just working in the yard and you cut yourself. And you think, it's no big deal. And, you know, I, I, I was having a friend who was on mission and, and Lloyd was carrying a part of the stage because they had these big, heavy things and he was in Samoa. And while he was walking with this big, heavy part of the stage, um, it was kind of rusty and it hit his leg and it caused a, a, a cut. But it wasn't terrible. And he didn't even think about it. And within three days, he was flat on his back and if he didn't get antibiotics very quickly, he was going to die. That's what can happen when you leave things untaken, you know, not taken care of. You know, you might want to put a band-aid on it. You might just want to sew it up and hope that the wound heals, the kind of the, the display of it. But there might be some sickness inside and that needs to be attended to. And, but if you leave it, unfet, it, it will fester. And sometimes we'll insulate lies with more lies. And then it gets kind of more complicated and you have to peel away the layers of the lies that you believe to try and get to it. So for me, This lie, he doesn't want me, or she doesn't want me, or she doesn't care about me, or I can't count on him, or I'm not really loved. It becomes an inner vow. I can't trust anyone. I just take care of myself. I'm not smart enough to figure things out, so I'll always make huge errors in judgment. And what happens is you wall yourself away from God. It's like that's the stronghold. It starts with one stone. You know, the enemy can't hide behind one stone really easily. But if you build him a nice wall to hide behind, he can hide pretty easily. And you've got to tear down that wall. You've got to renounce those lies. I have five minutes left and I'm going to talk about Um, One other thing, I hope. Maybe two if I have time. Michelle says one. I have five minutes. (laughs) You'll get it. Um, Another way in which, well, there, there are three big ways that I think I have seen are entryways for the enemy. Three kind of ways in which he gets in. Uh, Serious drug and alcohol addiction. Sexual sin. Number two. And the third one is jealousy. People that just can't forgive. They just won't let go. I think those three I've seen are big ones. And I think I've covered most of them... But the one that I want to just spend a minute on here is the, the idea of sexual sin. Um, it has spread now into so many different complicated areas that it's almost hard to even approach it. But the important thing is to remember that God created us to come together under a vow spoken to each other before the altar, and when we did that, he said, Be fruitful and multiply. Right? When that act of intimacy happens outside of the boundary of that commitment, it is a spiritual act. Okay? sex is a spiritual action. And there is a bond that occurs in that act. It's supposed to happen under the umbrella of matrimony. And if it happens outside of that umbrella, the enemy can use that. And so if that has happened to you, you can get free of that bond as well. We have a very simple prayer that we will pray with you. And and if you were raped, we can break that bond. It's a very simple prayer. We just say in the name of Jesus, I take back what I gave, and I break any bond with this person. It's very simple. And our team would be happy to lead you through that prayer. So I don't want to spend a lot of time on that, but I just want to tell you that, that if that's out there, please just get free of it today. Okay? You only have to do it once. Okay? Okay? Now... I think this has been a terrific day. God has done so much already. He really has. But the best thing is really yet to come. And that will be an opportunity to pray with us. So please avail yourself of it. And thank you so much for giving a man from Ann Arbor your attention.